Hey guys, this is Emma from The Horse Cure, the podcast for those of us who know that horses really are the cure for all that ails you. Today I got to chat with Karen Briggs, a Jill of all trades and horse lover extraordinaire. Karen writes, edits, and authors, as well as rides, judges, shows, and fosters off-the-track horses. While Karen has experience and knowledge from many areas of the horse world, today she and I chat standard breads. I'm a big fan of the standard bread breed and had a blast talking with Karen about her experiences on and off the track with them. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that we help you see all the things that excite us about standard breads. What I want to do mostly, and we'll talk about whatever we talk about and that's fine, but I guess my desire is really to push standard breads because I think they're kind of an underutilized breed in what they can do. You know, thoroughbreds and the jockey club really seems to push after a tie or after work for thoroughbreds and that mm-hmm. is awesome, but I don't know that the USTA does that much. And I think standard breads are awesome horses. I really do. I think they can do so much more than people think they can. And I'd really they're like to share that. Yeah, they're definitely underappreciated as potential riding horses. Partly because their distribution in North America is a little more uneven. You don't see a lot of standard bread tracks in the western U.S. or in western Canada for that matter. There is a track in B.C. And then other than that, it's pretty much Ontario and parts east. And standard breads are very big in Ontario. I grew up in Windsor, Ontario, which is right across the border from Detroit. Okay. And it ha- I grew up like four kilometers down the road from a standard bread track was in its heyday one of the busiest uh, standard tracks in the province uh, so i was uh, and really i mean those were the only horses around in my immediate area growing up so if you were interested in horses you ended up being involved in standard breads. <laughs> that's what was available <laughs> so did you now, find in the u.s ontario new jersey new york pennsylvania there's lots of standard bread racing you don't see it much in the south and you don't see much going on um, in the western states I can't figure out why. It's fun to watch. It really is. You know, they're such useful horses afterward, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They've definitely been underappreciated. But you started your life with standard breads, it kind of sounds like. That's what was around. That was what was around, yeah. I had to uh, scramble to find riding lessons when I was a kid. It was not a very horsey neck of the woods. (laughs) Um, But standard breads were always around. And uh, I remember at a very early age uh, riding my bike down to Windsor Raceway, just the local track. Uh, a few kilometers down from uh, my house and uh, just kind of pressing my face to the chain link fence and and saying, does anybody need a groom as they trotted past (laughs) on the training track? (laughs) Of course, nobody took me seriously. I was probably 11. Uh, (laughs) Eventually, I did find myself working as a a groom at uh, at Windsor Raceway during my undergrad years, and that was my first kind of hands-on exposure to standards. So did you start out driving then, Karen, or were you a rider from the word go? No, I was a rider early on whenever I could find lessons. It was kind of, uh, you know, somebody would set up shop for a few months or a year or two and uh, and I would take lessons there and then they would disappear and I'd have to find somebody else. So my riding education was kind of sporadic uh, as a kid. Other than uh, regular sessions at summer camp, I, uh, I was always interested in, in the riding end of things. I didn't get to actually drive a standard bread until quite some time later. Do you, you ride now, so you prefer riding over oh, yes. driving? <laughs> I like both, but I'm definitely more educated on the riding side. I would love to be more competent as a driver, but uh, as a, a rider, I've been an eventing and dressage competitor for 30 or 40 years, and I'm okay. uh, a Canadian certified level two coach. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, 
So I approach I approach second careers for Standard Bridge from that perspective. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Are you in the buying and selling industry as well? Or are you only on a very small scale? And, and I do that with thoroughbreds as well, off the track thoroughbreds that I retrain and send on. I've been involved with an organization called OSAS, which is the Ontario Standard Bread Adoption Society, for a number of years, and try to promote them whenever I can. I have fostered horses for them on several occasions, and uh, most recently I fostered a, uh, a really neat trotter named uh, Twinby Excalibur, who had participated in harness racing for many years, but in the last couple of years of his career, before he retired, I think at age 12, he was being used in the um, RUS program, which is Racing Under Saddle. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so he came to us already accustomed to having a rider, but as a racehorse as well. It was very cool and got myself and one of my students very interested in the uh, uh, in the Racing Under Saddle program. Unfortunately, he was a bit too cool a horse and uh, he got himself adopted. <laughs> <laughs> a good problem to have, the, I guess, huh? That's, that's the intent of the foster program. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that was great, but we don't have him to practice on anymore. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that Racing Under Saddle. Can you, t- I know we're kind of going all over the map here, but can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that? Because I know like, in the south that's a big thing with pacers and i just it's like beyond me i saw some youtube videos and i thought what on earth is happening there it's kind of interesting it's very big in scandinavia and the people who decided to start up the racing under saddle program in ontario were mostly uh trainers who originally hailed from somewhere in scandinavia uh sweden norway Denmark, where riding your harness racing horses is completely normal, completely common. Um, <laughs> they thought it was a little bizarre that nobody did it here. Okay. <laughs> they lobbied to start some under saddle racing for trotters, since uh, harness racing in, in Scandinavia is almost exclusively trotters. So they uh, they started it up. I don't want you to quote me here on exactly <laughs> how long ago it was, six or seven years ago, I think now. Okay. Um, it started off as just a demon- sort of a demonstration sport, but but I believe it was last year it was approved as a full wagering event. Oh. So just the same as, as so it would be included in a race card at, in a night of standard bread racing in and amongst the, the regular harness races as a, as a wagering event. And uh, it's very, very cool. It is also one of the hardest things I have ever done in a saddle. <laughs> okay, tell me about it. Because the now the jockeys don't look quite as tiny as thoroughbred jockeys, but I could be misinterpreting that. But yeah, how do you... Tell me a little about that. Okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't have to necessarily be tiny to, to do the standard breads. They don't really discriminate as far as weight is concerned. Um, that may be coming down the pike at some point. But right now, basically, they're just looking for anybody with the athletic ability to do it. And I did a, uh, a clinic. They're always looking to recruit new riders. And most of the people who are doing it in Ontario are women. Okay. Um, I think because... Most of them are people who are coming at it from a riding background in some other discipline. And uh, it just happens to be mostly women. I did a clinic that the RUS program held this spring before last to give people a taste of, uh, of what it's like to ride a trotter at racing speeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to say that <laughs> extremely challenging. <laughs> you have to be unbelievably fit to ride these horses. 
Okay, um, are you... and I say that to somebody who did my time galloping thoroughbreds as well. <laughs> now, are you are you posting along, or are you at two point? You're just trying to stay out of the way, but keep them from a gallop, or what are you doing up there? Yeah, it's a modified two point position. It's much like the galloping position that you would use on a thoroughbred superficially. Um, the saddles are similar, but put you in a slightly different balance. They're called Monte saddles and usually have to import them from Scandinavia. Some people do use thoroughbred exercise saddles, but they're not quite the same. I found that on a thoroughbred, the movement of the gallop kind of keeps you balanced over their over their withers and keeps you in a position where you can naturally go with the horse. On a trotter, you are holding it by sheer muscle control. The trot does not keep you in the right place necessarily. The balance is a little bit different. Your feet are out in front of you a little bit more and your your weight has to be a little further back over the, the cantle of this tiny saddle. Okay. Um, and you're kind of bracing yourself on the neck. The horse is moving quite a high head carriage and leaning against you. And that, so it's, it takes a lot of muscle control. My quads were in knots. <laughs> <laughs> I could only hold the position for about half a mile and I had to drop back and post a little bit because I was just getting absolutely exhausted. So I have huge, huge respect for uh, for the women that do this because they have to be unbelievably fit. In Scandinavia, they're, in order to get your license as an RUS rider, you have to undergo uh, a pretty exacting fitness test oh, wow. um, as well as qualifying your horses for the races because you also have to have the ability to rate your horse, to keep your horse in the trot and not let him, what they say, what they call roll off okay. into a gallop, especially on the turns. That's where some of the horses can get discombobulated. So you're helping to maintain the gait at the same time that you're trying to balance them and you're trying to execute some sort of racing strategy as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. um, I yeah. kind of came to the conclusion that my body might not stand up to it anymore. I was probably 20, 25 years older than everybody else in that clinic. Okay. <laughs> but I have a student who is very, very serious about it. And she is now, uh, she comes from an endurance riding background. And she is uh, now apprenticing with a, uh, a woman who is showing her the ropes of harness racing. So she's been going to Woodbine Racetrack at least once a week for the last few weeks to kind of uh, learn the game because uh, she would really like to be assigned a trotter to ride in the RUS races this coming season. And you have to kind of win the trust of the trainers first. Okay. What are standard bred racing people like? What do they love about the breed and, um, and about harness racing or racing under saddle? What do they love about standard breds? Why aren't they thoroughbred people? Well, it's interesting. In Ontario, standard bred racing is probably is a fair bit bigger, actually, than thoroughbred racing. We only have two thoroughbred tracks. And at its height, before we had a little government interference, there were 17 standard bred tracks in the province. Wow. Um, standard breds, yeah, standard breds have always been big business here. Traditionally, standard breds were kind of for the little guy. Thoroughbreds were, you know, sport of kings, big money, very difficult to break into if you didn't have huge money behind you, whereas standard breds were the, the kind of horse that, uh, you know, anybody could have a couple and dabble and race on the weekends and all of that kind of thing. Those people still exist, too. There are lots of people with small stables um, who just do it for the love of it okay. more than anything else. But there are also huge, huge stables, of um, you know, that operate and race all over the country and uh, have enormous numbers of rakes stakes horses. One of the local larger outfits in Ontario is Casey Coleman's stable. In the U.S., Ron Burke is uh, 
it's a huge dominating force. Probably, I don't even know how many horses he's got, 200. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so, yeah. I mean, they, there can be absolutely huge operations, but there also can be a lot of little guys and, uh, and a lot in between. The standard bred people I have known over the last few decades have, you know, for the most part, been lovely people who really love their horses, very dedicated. God knows they're not in it for the money. Um, <laughs> just like thoroughbred racing you know for every stakes horse who brings home millions of dollars there are lots and lots of grinders and claimers and that who are you know if you're lucky they cover their expenses mm-hmm. uh, right. not much more, you know it's it, it's not a secure living if you're actually depending on it for your living but they they love their horses and uh want to do right by them and i meet a lot of them now in my my latest position a couple of months ago i started working um at woodbine racetrack in what we call the test barn which is where the horses go after races two horses from every race the winner and then one other horse chosen at random goes to be drug tested yes so i'm one of the uh, staff who meets them there and uh, takes them through the drug testing process after a race okay do they test blood or do they test urine typically both actually it depends on the situation you uh if a horse has had lasix administered ahead of the race then they have to have a blood draw after as well to make sure that the level of Lasix in their blood is appropriate to the level that was administered. But then they also have to undergo a urine test. Um, and all of all of the horses who are brought into the test barn undergo a urine test. If you manage to get urine from a horse in an hour after they check in, then you do a blood draw. Okay. Can you yeah. tell me about the, the Lasix? What does that drug do? Lasix is a diuretic, which basically means it's going to wring all the excess moisture out of the horse. But that's not its primary purpose in being used in racehorses. What it's used for is to prevent or at least mitigate bleeding from the nostrils. And that's so if a horse has had a bleeding episode after a race, which is fairly common, then that trainer can make the decision to put the horse on Lasix. That's so they have to show up, they have to report several hours before the race to have the drug administered, and then they are carefully monitored up until the, the, the point of the race and afterwards. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about that bleeding? Is that kind of sport-wide, um, when horses are really working very, very hard, that's something that happens? Yes. Or is, has that been kind of bred into them inadvertently, or how does that work? Nobody's quite sure, but we know that horses who exercise at maximal capacity, so both thoroughbreds and standardbreds in racing situations, will quite commonly bleed. There's some, there are some researchers that believe it's almost like a normal physiological response to working at, at 100%. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's certainly not uncommon. Not all horses are incapacitated by it. If it's only a minor bleed, then, you know, they may choose not to put them on Lasix because certainly having them on Lasix is, is extra hassle for everybody. They have to get to the races earlier. With standard breads, they don't stable at the track, at least not in Ontario. They ship in to race. Oh. So it's not quite the same situation as they're in the, you know, in the backstretch all the time. They ship in from their home farms to race and then go home afterwards. Wow. That's, yeah, no rest there, huh? Very little, especially yeah. for the poor grooms. <laughs> the for grooms sure. are, they're up at five o'clock in the morning. They work all day. They may get a couple of hours of rest in the afternoon, but if they're racing, then they have to load up, ship to the track and uh, do what's called paddocking their horses, which is, you know, taking care of them before and after the race and then ship home, you know? So, I mean, if home is three hours away from the track, <laughs> Wow. That's might, a hustle. Yeah. Yeah, and Standard Bridge race in the evening, of course. So the race card at Woodbine at the moment starts at 7.10. And uh, then if your horse doesn't pee, <laughs> you may be in the test barn for an hour. 
<laughs> after oh, that boy. before you get to load up and go home. So yeah, it can make for some, some late nights. Yeah, so. for sure. So what does somebody, why does somebody like you do that? It's because you love the breed or you like all the action. Why do you do that? Oh, a little bit of everything. I think everybody has their own motivations, but for uh, for me, at least, I don't have to load a horse up and go home from the chest part when yeah. I finish the night. I just have to get myself home, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. But yeah, I think you know that that's the way the the sport is structured, and it does mean at least you have you have the day free to you know train your horses and get all the barn stuff done and and all of that. You just probably end up having to be addicted to coffee if you really like that lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I love to hear that you've got like small stables as well. It's just not for the big guys. Of course, they're out there and that is awesome. They're great too. But it's nice that you can have the family farms uh, get in there and be competitive as well. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know lots of people who have, you know, just a one or two horse stable or maybe they have, you know, eight or ten horses and that. But there are lots of operations like that. Well, good to hear. Now, Karen, can you talk a little bit about standard breads in general, just what you know and what you love about them? Okay. Well, if we're approaching it from the perspective of, you know, their potential for second careers, I have worked with both thoroughbreds and standard breads for many, many years, and I love both breeds. I have to say the horses in my backyard right now are all thoroughbreds, Mm -hmm. although I'm keeping my eye out for another standard bred prospect. I think I can say fairly confidently that temperament-wise, standard breds are a much, much more forgiving breed. So if somebody were to be looking for a lovely first horse, I would not necessarily recommend a thoroughbred off the track as anybody's first horse. Mm-hmm. Much as I love them, I say that with love. <laughs> <laughs> but a standard bred can be a lovely first horse for somebody. As a breed, they tend to be way more forgiving, way more laid back, way more accepting, tougher, more sensible, <laughs> and, and uh, less neurotic mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, they're they're pretty capable athletes as well. And I know thoroughbreds are like the ultimate athlete for sure. But standard breds are, you know, they're hardy and they're strong and they've got endurance going for them. They're pretty capable breed. They're pretty amazing, actually. I think they have had a PR problem as riding horses for a number of small reasons, none of which really, you know, bear close examination. I mean, people tend to think of them first and foremost as driving horses. Sure. And uh, certainly the fate of a lot of of standard breds when they leave the track is to uh, end up in um, Amish and Mennonite communities working hard, pulling (laughs) pulling buggies. uh, And that's not not necessarily a a fabulous life for them, but it's one that they adapt to fairly easily. People don't tend to think of them as riding horses as well because they, um, when they're racing, they are discouraged actively from cantering. That is a a big no-no when you're racing. That's called breaking stride. And that means that the driver has to basically pull the horse to the outside, get him out of competition's way until he can get him back on gate. And then they can rejoin the race, by which time the race has usually gone on without them. (laughs) Right. So uh, so breaking stride is bad. We want horses to stay stay on gate. So these horses end up with a huge inhibition against cantering. Mm -hmm. It's not that they cannot canter. They can all canter. It's a natural gait for them, just as it is for any other breed of horses. But uh, they have a major inhibition about it by the time they finish their racing career. Sure. So you have to kind of teach them that cantering is okay, which can take a while. They also, they find it awkward 
at first. It's It doesn't feel natural to them. And uh, the horses who are bred to pace, who have that pacing gene, always have a kind of a little syncopation in their canter, mm-hmm. that little paciness <laughs> to it. So you can usually see a horse cantering and you have no idea of his background. You can usually spot it by the way they canter if there's a little bit of standard bred blood in there. I saw a horse last summer at a pony club event who had that little bit of funkiness to (laughs) her canter. And, you know... (laughs) It is identifiable, that's for sure. I asked politely about her breeding, and it turned out she was a Turkaner standard bred cross. Oh, interesting. Okay. (laughs) Don't have the pacing gene. You don't have to correct them from pacing. Um, But they can also get kind of long and strung out in the trot because they associate it with speed. Mm-hmm. So it can be difficult for them to break into a canter as well. So they have to kind of learn to rebalance in order to do it. And if you're taking on a standard bred as a potential riding horse, you have to be prepared to be patient in developing that canter. It's not going to come in a couple of weeks. Sure. It's probably come in a couple of years. The other issue that I think standard breds have as potential riding horses is just that they're not particularly flashy. So people tend to overlook them. They tend to, you know, 90% of them are bay. Right. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> with very little chrome. There's not there's not a lot of white markings either mm-hmm. uh, as a rule. And that. so they tend to be kind of plain Jane guys, you know, particularly if you're addicted to chrome and like flashy spotty horses with lots of white standard breds are probably not going to float your boat on first glance historically they have a reputation for being having kind of ugly heads as well although that's really no longer the case that's Um, true the standard breds that are bred today are streamlined elegant fabulous looking horses for the most part very many of them could be mistaken for thoroughbred yeah that so they don't have the jug heads that they (laughs) they had or yeah or it's a larger head but it's more refined like you said it's really they there's so many beauties out there oh one of the biggest challenges i have working in the test barn is that there's at least a half a dozen horses every night that i would like to take home (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah i would love for more people to to consider standard breads as potential riding horses because they're really unlimited in terms of their athletic ability with you know the caveats that you're going to have to to work on developing the canter most people also don't want pacing under saddle Mm -hmm. Uh, but most most pacers will trot naturally when they're not wearing pacing hobbles there are you know there are a few that are very very stuck in uh, their natural pacers and that's what they revert to whenever they get unbalanced or a little out of their comfort zone they'll revert to a pace but there are some little tricks you can uh, you can do to shake them back into a trot sure (laughs) just want a uh, a fabulous trail horse pacing can be quite comfortable actually to ride that's that's what i've heard yeah there's no reason you can't let your horse pace as well if you're uh, if you're not competing in dressage or something that requires trot Mm -hmm. then uh, absolutely you know let your horse pace yeah (laughs) well for sure yeah and they're they're as hardy as they come and yeah you could go comfortably pacing down the trail at a pretty good well, clip, too, if you wanted. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They do associate it with speed. So, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is just get up out of the and let them go. Right. Have um, some fun. It's interesting. A lot of them also, uh, because, I mean, pacing basically makes them a gated horse or a gated breed. Mm-hmm. You can very easily take some standard breeds and create some version of a single foot gate. Oh, really? So, yeah. 
So, um, so if you want to do gated classes, you know, in with uh, Rocky Mountain horses or uh, Tennessee walkers, you can create those gates in uh, in some standard breads, at least. That's not my specialty, so I don't want to speak exactly how you do that. Okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's definitely something that can be done. And in some parts of the U.S., I know they are showing standard breads as gated horses, a version of a running walk or some sort of a single foot gate. Okay. Yeah, I had seen a little bit about that, too, over on the East Coast more, I think. And I know so little about that life um, that I was like, oh, oh, okay. I guess I don't yeah. know what they look for other than walk, track, canter, pace, I guess. But yeah, if they can do that well, single foot. Yeah, you're looking for a little syncopation in the uh, in the gate that you can then develop. They're kind of between trot and pace is a spectrum. So trotting and pacing are both diagonal gates. So in pacing, the legs on one side of the horse are moving forward at the same time. So left front, left hind, right front, right hind move forward at the same time, whereas trot is trot is diagonal, but they both got two feet on the ground at any given time. Kind of a sliding scale between trot and pace yeah. that ends up being one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, three, four, instead of one, one, two, one, two, one, two. <laughs> okay. Now, Karen, you judge standard breads, you were saying. Is that correct? I do, yes. Okay. And I what have, type I've of done that for several years. Everything you can imagine. That's the really cool thing about it. <laughs> okay. That the standard bread shows that I have judged generally have, you know, 30, 35 classes over the course wow. of the day. Yeah. And that's everything from line classes to and halter classes to English pleasure, Western pleasure, dressage, jumping, pleasure driving, gaming, trail classes. What else have we done? Pretty much everything. <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. Um, yeah. And they're absolutely amazing. It's uh, it's so much fun to judge these uh, these shows because almost all of the horses that turn up at them are old warriors off the track. Yeah. Some of them are even still actively racing oh, while cool. they're showing. Yeah. So <laughs> they'll, they'll race on, on Thursday night and then, you know, Sunday they've got a seven-year-old kid on them in the, in the walk trot English pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think you can do that with too many thoroughbreds. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, can you tell me what you look for in uh, like a... And, well, that's that's one of the challenging things is what you look for. <laughs> right. <laughs> Particularly the line classes or where you're judging these horses on confirmation. <laughs> That's, that's kind of a special circumstance because these horses are all coming off the track with a certain amount of what we call jewelry. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> track jewelry mm-hmm. is the, the lumps and bumps and, and, you know, little scars and things that the horses have sustained while they're, they're racing. And, uh, you know, very few of them are clean legged and, and perfect. And that's so, whereas if you were at an open show, these, these horses, some of their track jewelry would raise a lot of eyebrows, with <laughs> but you know, I mean, I have to go in there and kind of look at the big picture of how the horse is designed and say, okay, is this, you know, a, a, a nice smooth individual? Yeah. Maybe he's got a big knee, but fair enough. He moves sound on it and, <laughs> you know, and, uh, does he paint the picture of, uh, an English pleasure horse or a Western pleasure horse or a saddle seat horse, you know, what kind of physical build has he got? How smoothly is he put together? Does he stay out of his own way when he moves? Um, so you have to kind of think big picture that way and not necessarily pick them apart or whether the the one with the big knees is better or worse than the one with the slight club foot and the uh, and the cryo marks on his hocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All of this, you know. I mean, these horses earn these uh, these lumps and bumps honorably. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, and standard breds have kind of a long life on the track, so they're not done when they're four. They're done when they're seven or 12 or something, right? Well, it depends on the horse, but yeah, they can legally race up until they're 14. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's a, a fantastic 
horse out there right now. I think I mentioned Ron Burke earlier. He's one of the biggest trainers in the U.S. He uh, he has a horse called Foiled Again, who has won seven and a half million dollars over wow. the course of his career. He is now 14. He's in his last year of racing, and they're trying to get him to his 100th win. Oh, um, how exciting. Right yeah. So, I mean, these horses are war horses. Whereas a thoroughbred might race once a month or once every three weeks at mm-hmm. most, a lot of these standard birds are racing once a week. Wow. Like every Saturday night, the same horses turn up. Wow. Um, and they, you know, they're just hammering it out. Some of these horses have 50 starts a year. And uh, <laughs> so they're just amazing. The very, very top stakes horses, they usually retire after their three year old year because they just become so valuable that they're they can't afford to race them anymore okay um so they go to go to stud same as they the thoroughbreds do lots and lots of standard breds race beyond their three-year-old year many many of them are out there at least until they're nine or ten wow and that's so yeah they're tough they are <laughs> tough i love it yeah what a cool and then they group. go out and show on the weekends <laughs> jumping cross rails with a kid on them that is um, what an impressive breed very cool. Yeah, they're very, very cool. And, you know, I see horses at these shows who have, you know, maybe still actively racing or just recently retired. And then I see other ones that have been riding horses for years now. When they first start out, particularly, there are always some challenges in, in learning these new skills. And, you know, they, they may not be the perfect picture of a Western pleasure horse when they come out into my walk trot class. But uh, the main thing is that they're trying hard and their owners love them to pieces. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, it's just so much fun to, to see them assimilate these new skills. And they do it with such perfect acceptance of everything. I've, I've never really seen a standard bred have a major meltdown in a show ring. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly, the, the first horses that I ever broke to ride myself were standard breads off the track. Okay. And they all had exactly the same reaction. The first time you throw a leg over them and sit on their backs, they basically just swing their heads around and look at you and go, <laughs> well, that's a strange thing to do. <laughs> and then they kind of shrug and get on with it. Right. <laughs> okay, lady, if that's what you want. <laughs> you know, so yeah. they're, they're not horses who tend to overreact. <laughs> they just kind of accept everything that you throw at them, which is uh, which is incredibly cool. In your experience, have they been fairly bright as well? I have had three standard breads in my life and only one for any length of time that I've been involved in its training. And he's just mm-hmm. as bright as can be. He really is very intuitive and, and he's sensitive. And so he's thinking and paying attention and learning and wanting to please. Is that a breed characteristic or did I just get real lucky? Oh, no, no. You, <laughs> that, that, that's the whole breed, I think. I mean, there's the occasional exception out there. Sure. <laughs> the most part, yeah. I, I find that they, they're real thinkers and, you know, they may have their little quirks coming off the track and that, but they're they're very, very eager to please. And like all track horses, I mean, I find this with thoroughbreds too, they have a work ethic. Mm-hmm. They, they really want to get down and do something. They don't want to be pasture potatoes. Yes. They, uh, they want to have a job. Yes. I learned that a couple years ago. My gelding, I gave him, oh, the year off road once a week or something. And he kind of turned into a bear. And then I got him back into his regular work or, you know, weekly writing a few times a week and um, working hard. And he was a happy cat. And it just, that was, I know I had heard that before. And I was like, yeah, here, I'm living it because he did not like not working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of instilled in them very early on if they uh, if they have a racetrack career and uh, it's something they keep with them all their lives. The other advantage, and again, this goes for thoroughbreds as well, is that they have a baseline of fitness that 
a horse who has not raced probably never develops. So even when you leave them alone for a while, they're still probably fitter than that horse who has not raced. And you can bring them back very easily to um, to a higher level of fitness. You know, their bodies are trained for that. Yeah. So that can be a huge advantage, especially if you are looking to get into, um, you know, a higher, more demanding sport, say like endurance, where standard breds make fabulous endurance horses. They can trot for days. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, right. As long as, like you said, if you're physically capable of, of riding that trot for days, they can do it for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And they, uh, they open up and come back with ease. So they adapt to it incredibly easily. I know some people who have bred standard breds with Arabians to uh, kind of get the ultimate endurance horse. I was wondering about that because you see Arabs really do dominate the endurance world, it seems. And it always makes me wonder why not standard breds? They're made to do that you know, go fast, far, yeah. forever. And, um, yeah, well, Arabians are, are traditionally the long distance horse yeah. and, uh, you know, both breeds have fabulous characteristics uh, for it. So yeah, maybe a cross is the best of both worlds. That'd be really interesting. I wonder, yeah, if that, if you'll start to see that dominate that sport at all, that's interesting. Yeah. We were, uh, we were really hoping actually with the, uh, horse I had foster twin B Excalibur, we were really hoping to take him into an endurance race the spring that he got adopted out. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't get that far, but there's a, a ride site quite close to me in the Dufferin Forest where Octra, which is the Ontario Competitive Trail Riding Association, holds its rides. So um, we were hoping to get him out there. So now we are keeping our eyes open for uh, for another trotter, ideally. Okay. Um, might have a future in endurance and, uh, and racing under saddle. Okay. Oh, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's kind of fun yeah. to be in the market for something. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just waiting for the right horse to uh, to come past our radar. Sure. Okay, so Karen, you're a cross-country gal, is that correct? Um, yes, I have uh, competed in eventing for a number of years. Okay, yes, that's what I meant, eventing. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the whole whole ball of wax. Yep. And, <laughs> and do you see many standard breds in that sport? I know it's typically, it's pretty heavily thoroughbred, right? Um, you see anything and everything. There's really no breed restriction. Yeah, at the lowest levels, you know, fjord ponies and <laughs> Clyde crosses and everything in between. I love um, that about eventing, though, too, that it is, I mean, bring the horse that you've got. Let's go. Yeah, basically. Uh, you don't have to have an, uh, a, a super fancy. See uh, six-figure warm blood imported from somewhere uh, to <laughs> successfully at the lower levels. At the highest levels of eventing, yes, thoroughbreds do um, still dominate. Mm-hmm. Thoroughbreds and warm blood crosses with a lot of thoroughbred in them. A little less so now that we've changed to what we call the short format mm-hmm. of eventing at the at the highest level. So they no longer have to do roads and tracks and steeplechase. So the advantage has shifted a little bit to horses with fancier movement and not necessarily quite the same level of endurance so warm blood crosses become more popular um, but there are still plenty of off the track thoroughbreds competing at the highest levels of eventing as far as standard breads go that's still i have seen a few competing at the lower levels of eventing okay um i haven't seen any at the upper levels yet but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen the biggest challenge i think would be getting the canter pure enough that it's going to please a dressage judge at you know the two or three star level where dressage becomes a very exacting thing but uh, absolutely i have seen some standard breds competing in eventing um i have not done it with a standard bread myself yet okay uh, but i would like to it's interesting of course the uh some of them do pretty interesting things in between the fences <laughs> oh okay tell me what not you mean necessarily cantering <laughs> 
But uh, you know what? They can jump just fine from a trot or a pace. They've got no shortage of jump in them. So the biggest challenge is just uh, if you have a pacer, making sure that the trot stays solid enough that you stay in trot for your dressage test. There are no marks off in eventing for the gate that your horse chooses to use in between the fences in either the stadium phase or a cross-country phase. So. <laughs> So as long as you can hold it together for the dressage, you're good. Yeah, basically. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I would love to see more standard breads in uh, in eventing. That seems like a great sport for them. They're capable yeah. and... Well, that's it. And it's being judged mostly objectively. I mean, there's a certain amount of subjectivity in the dressage test, but beyond that, you either jumped the fence or you didn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would love to see them uh, competing more in eventing. I would love to see them uh, more everywhere. They're certainly one of the other things I would love to do with the standard bread uh, sometime in the future is combined driving. Oh, I think yes. That. That's that's a big investment for me in terms of uh, vehicles and everything. So it's not something I've been able to get into seriously right now, but it's on the bucket list. Well, sure. And, you know, they do do the endurance driving. I don't know if that's something that they do up there, but I know Wisconsin ha- seems to have a big group of endurance drive trail driving. And I think that sounds... Oh, is that right? Yeah, which kind of sounds yeah. fun if you enjoy driving. I prefer to ride myself, but, you know, if you enjoy <laughs> that, that would be a blast. Yeah, it would be. Maybe we should bring that up with the Octra committee. There you go. <laughs> so, Karen, talk a little bit about your own horses. You've got thoroughbreds right now, and you do some eventing and stuff. Tell me about your babies. Yeah, well, I don't want to bore anybody too much with them, but uh, <laughs> yes, six thoroughbreds at the moment, two of which are homebreds. So I guess I have three that are off the track and three that are not. Now I have my matriarch is a mare called uh, Great Lady, who is quite nicely bred. Uh, I bought her primarily to produce a baby or two for the yearling sale that is held every uh, September here at Woodbine. The objective was to make myself lots of money selling a yearling. Awesome. (laughs) Very good luck with that. That would be great. Well, the first yearling that I produced is now 16 years old and he's still in my field. (laughs) (laughs) Through a long, complicated series of circumstances. He's he's my, uh, my stealth dressage horse. He has evented a little bit. Um, whose registered name is Norwegian Blue, which is a Python joke. <laughs> oh, okay. A Monty okay. Python? I'm not a Monty Python person. Sorry. My yeah, husband would get it. Story, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and his, uh, his younger brother, half-brother, different sires, there's a, a, a nine-year-old gelding whose registered name is uh, a rather reckless. <laughs> okay. Does he live up to that? I find that they do sometimes. Oh. Oh, he does. Yeah. Yes. My, my special little snowflake. And I have a gelding named Trouble, and he, he mm-hmm. is. Absolutely. Oh, Trouble. beautiful. I had, yep. a, I had a pony named Trouble. Yeah, he's he's Triple Gold Trouble. It was just in his registration, you know, and, and stuff. And so I put it together and thought, oh, this will be cute. And yep. he is my strong-willed <laughs> child, for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> but 25 years well, later, he's my baby. I love that horse. <laughs> Those ones that are lifers. Right, right. You know how <laughs> that goes. Most of, mine, most of mine are lifers. I have two projects right now, both of whom are relatively recently off the track. I have a, uh, a five-year-old uh, mare who I'm hoping will event. And uh, she raced very briefly. She just had two or three starts. Uh, her, her name is Vivian. Um, Lady Viv is her registered name. And then I have a really cool gelding that uh, I got as a freebie last oh, year, about a year and a half ago now, I guess. He raced till the middle of his seven-year-old year. His name is Rhythm of Rock. Wow. And, he's a tough uh, he, Yeah, he's a tough old campaigner. And he is just the sweetest dude in the world. I got mm-hmm. him mostly because he reminded me of my old prelim horse, who was a big chestnut with uh, with a huge blaze and three white feet. Oh. <laughs> 
Yeah, he was my he was probably my horse of a lifetime. His name was Sweeney Todd. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and this horse, Rhythm of Rock, reminded me of him in some ways. Um, he's uh, he's still just basically track broke. He doesn't know a whole lot more than that yet, but he's turned out to be the nicest hack horse I've had in ages. Nothing bothers this horse. Good boy. <laughs> he's super cool. And I did get him originally as a resale prospect, but I don't think I can part with him now. Well, <laughs> you you obviously have good taste in horses, though. I mean, if you if you choose somebody and you're like, okay, yep, I got to keep this one and this one and this well, one, you know your horses. Yeah, some of them, you know, not all of them have worked out, but I have had good luck overall. <laughs> <laughs> I have one special little snowflake in my field right now who uh, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with her. I <laughs> seems to be one step forward, three steps back with her. <laughs> You must have prayed for patience somewhere along the road or something like that. Yeah, well, you can't have a 100% success rate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I, as I say, I'm looking out for another standard bread prospect that I hope I can foster for the Standard Bread Adoption Society and uh, eventually move on to uh, an endurance career. So uh, I'm looking out for a trotter for that. How exciting. I love it. You're always up for something new and something different and something to stretch yourself. That's so cool. Well, yes, keeping me poor. <laughs> well, yeah, that's horse poor. That's why they said it, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what else can we say about standard breads that will uh, fill out your podcast? Well, we can we can wind it down here pretty soon. I know an hour is a lot to ask from you. Um, I'd like to know what you want people to know. What are things that are important to you as a horsewoman, just in general? And this doesn't have to be standard bread specific. Just this is what is important to Karen for people to take away about horses. Well, let's make it standard bread specific. Okay. And that what, what I would like people to know about standard breads is that they are amazing potential riding horses. And just because they aren't necessarily the flashiest horses in the world doesn't mean you should discount them. They have fabulous brains and they're tough and willing and eager to please. Generally have lovely manners coming off the track. Unlike thoroughbreds uh, off the track, they cross tie and they all ship. They're good for the farrier. They're good for the vet. They st- yeah. <laughs> they'll stand tied forever and they come broke to drive. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, if you ever have ambitions of, of driving, that's uh, super simple. And most of the one, all of the ones that I have worked with have been extremely easy to convert to uh to riding horses. All of them have been very, very willing. They, they already understand voice commands and rein aids. The only thing they don't understand is leg aids. Mm-hmm. And, that, and they pick up on that pretty fast. And they're just, they're lovely, rewarding horses to work with. Um, there are so many of them that come off the track and are in need of good homes. And I really wish that people wouldn't write them off quite so quickly. They're amazing prospects. And uh, the people I have seen who are riding and showing their standard breads are having so much fun with these horses. Now, can you yes. tell me again the adoption agency that you work with? Yeah, it's called the Ontario Standard Bread Adoption Society, and uh, it's based in conjunction with Standard Bread Canada, which is the uh, the national organization that regulates harness racing in Canada. But there are uh, lots of uh, standard bread adoption organizations in the states as well the retired racehorse foundation does both standard breads and thoroughbreds i believe there's uh, an adoption organization in ohio there's at least two in new jersey i believe so there are lots of organizations out there that can hook you up with a standard bread which for a lot of people particularly if they're looking for a first horse they may want to work through one of those adoption 
organizations rather than trying to go on the track and pick out a prospect for themselves. Because those horses, usually if they've entered into an adoption program, they usually have gotten at least a preliminary amount of work under saddle mm -hmm. um, to get them ready to be adopted out. So the, the initial work has been done for you and they've kind of you know, sorted through and found a, the horses who are going to be the best prospects for what you want to do with your horse. And typically they're pretty sound once they've gotten them, you know, rehabbed if they need that or, or something too, but they're pretty sound. Yeah. They've got a future. Yeah, typically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, typically I see far more standard breads available for adoption that basically are up for anything mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, a lot of thoroughbreds who end up with physical limitations coming off their track career, sure. you know, where they may only be suitable for pleasure riding or dressage, but not necessarily jumping because they have an old injury sure. um, that precludes that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, every horse is an individual, but uh, the adoption societies usually have lots of good information on exactly what is realistic to expect of that particular horse. And the adoption fees are very, very reasonable as a rule. And then you have the support of that organization as well through, uh, you know, your initial period of, of taking that horse home. Some of the adoption societies maintain ownership of the horse yeah and others will they sign the deed over to you basically others you know kind of remain involved for a certain amount of time and then eventually um so that the advantage there is if your circumstances change right and you can no longer keep that horse in your life there's a safe place for that horse to go back to that's comforting. That is good to know. And like you said, the yeah. support of the adoption agency too, especially if you're a first timer, it's nice to have a little bit of guidance and where can we look for good trainers or, you know, can you guide me through this? So that really is a gift. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Some of the adoption organizations also have clinics to uh, help people um, with things like, you know, helping your, your standard bread develop his canter, that kind of thing. Wow. I think this yeah. is wonderful. So they can help you all, all the way along. Yes. Excellent. Oh, yeah, it's very cool. Plus, you're, you're just doing a good deed. Right. <laughs> and you're, no. you're getting an amazing horse out of the deal. So win, win, yeah. win. Okay. Well, Karen, I have taken up a lot of your time, and I really appreciate you giving me this. I'm excited about this. Thank you so much. Oh, fun, Emma. Thanks. Yes. Thank you, Karen. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. A big thank you to Karen Briggs for her time today. Karen has a great website where you can learn more about her and enjoy some of her writings. Links to her website as well as her Facebook page will be on thehorsecure.com, along with links to sites where you can learn more about opportunities to adopt and foster horses if you are interested. Standard breads are wonderful horses. If you are in the market for a horse that can go just about any way you want to go, consider a standard bread. And thank you for listening to The Horse Cure. Thank you for listening to the Horse Cure Podcast, the podcast for those of us who know that horses really are the cure for all that ails you. You can find more information about each episode and more podcasts at thehorsecure.com and by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 